Thank you, Anna. That's uh, great. Morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Hope you're all well. Are you well out there? Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, so I'm, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday, as Anna's said uh, today. So we're speaking on the Holy Spirit. And um, in particular, this is actually the reason why we moved it around. We're speaking on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We wanted to leave room for, for prayer uh, for people to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit or to uh, be filled for the first time, baptized in the Spirit if you haven't uh, had that uh, before. So we wanted to uh, make room for that. But I thought it'd be helpful actually to start just by um, looking at the person of the Holy Spirit to begin with, with you. So the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, you need to understand, is God. In Acts chapter 5, you see that passage where Ananias and Sapphira, they decide that they're going to keep some money back. Uh, And they're going to say in front of everyone, oh yes, we've given all the money that we got from this sale, but they actually have kept some back. They're lying to make themselves seem better than they are. There was no obligation for them to do anything, uh, in fact, uh, but they wanted to appear better uh, than they were. So, uh, and then you get that, that famous saying from Peter where he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And then, of course, he drops down dead. And uh, a bit later, his wife drops down dead as well when she uh, uh, also confirms uh, the lie as well. It's a bit of a warning there. But the Holy, so to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. You then um, hear later on in the Bible, in the book of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, that the Lord is the Spirit. Now, the, the word Lord there is in the Old Testament is often used for God, for Yahweh, uh, for the, uh, the, the God the Father, as we would say now. It's also in the New Testament often used for Jesus. But here it is referred to the Spirit. The Spirit is also the Lord. And uh, therefore, another indication that he is God. The Spirit is eternal. Now, there's only one being that is eternal, that has always been. That is God. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, it tells you that, you know, we've been saved by Jesus through the eternal Spirit. It's another indication there that the Holy Spirit is eternal. God. In Psalm 139, it says, where can I flee from your, your, your spirit, from your presence? Where can I go? Your spirit will be there. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There's only one person that's omnipresent. That is God. He is all-knowing. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 11, it says, he searches everything, even the deep things, even the depths of God. He knows Everything is another indication of his deity. In Luke 1, verse 35 to 37, it tells us about the Holy Spirit, that he is all-powerful there as well, because nothing is impossible with God. He can even make the virgin conceive. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible's teaching on it, it doesn't use this word, but the Bible's teaching on it is about the, what we call the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity. Yes, it's going to be a little bit deep for a, a little, uh, just a little while, but then, uh, and then it's going to 
ease off, but it's good to have a bit of depth sometime, okay? So I'm stretching you, particularly if you've been at the uh, church camp and your mind's a little bit slow this morning. Uh, be, uh, be aware, this is, some good, this is some good theology here for you to get into your thinking and into your being uh, here as well. So the, he is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see that in, in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptised... He comes out of the water, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the Father speaks from heaven, This is my beloved child, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And uh, so you've got the Spirit there, you've got the Son there, and you've got the Father speaking from heaven. Jesus, in, uh, when he's risen from the, the grave, and he is uh, he's commissioning his disciples. He says to them, Baptize, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, uh, baptizing them in the name, singular, the name, just one name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's, so there's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there is only one name, one God. And it took... It took a while to, uh, for them to look at the, script, the teaching of Scripture and come, come, come up with the, the word Trinity and the, the full teaching of the Bible. But the most simple way of remembering it is in this diagram uh, up here. It's, uh, it's not a diagram of God. You, any illustration that you've heard of God, or you know, it's like a mother, or it's like water, or it's like an egg. Or, actually, all of them fail this test at one, at one point. Uh, this, these are three truths here that are represented, what the Bible teaches about God, that there is one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet all of them are equal, or a better way of putting it is fully God. So it's not the Father plus the Son plus the Spirit equals God. Actually, the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus bodily. He is fully God. Everything that's true about God is true of the Father, is true of the Son, and is true of the Holy Spirit. When you are filled, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the fullness of God. Not just part of God, not just a third of God, you are filled with the fullness of God. And if you let any one of these sides slip in your thinking, you, it then drifts into an error, as you can see here. So if you forget that there's one God or your teaching misses that fact, you begin to drift into polytheism, that there are many gods. If you let the fact that all, uh, all of them are equal, if you say, oh, no, the Father, he's the boss, and the others are, you know, they're, they're less than him, you drift into an error which is known as subordinationism. Uh, where, you know, where they're, they're, they're under each other. If you let, drift into the fact that, um, if you let the, that there's three persons that have eternally been there, you drift into the era of what's known as modalism. 
there, which is basically, you know, when, when God dresses up with his suit and tie and that he's the father, he's all smart. When he puts his cap and his shorts on, well, he's, the, he's the son, he's a bit more, you know, a bit more uh, uh, relaxed. And then, then when he's got his action gear on, his, his out, outside gear on, then he's the Holy Spirit because he's, you know, into action. That's, that, uh, that, that, again, is another error because there's three persons who've eternally existed. You know, the ancients, when they were, the early church, when they were looking at what scripture taught, they came up with what is known as the Athanasian Creed, which I'm going to read bits of it to uh, you now, because it's so beautiful. It's beautiful um, truth here. Now, just, just listen to it, although I don't expect you to remember it uh, all, but uh, actually there are copies of uh, the um, early church creeds. There's about 20 of them in the office, if any of you uh, want them. But this is what true if you like Christianity, what, true, what the Bible teaches us about God here. It says this, We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is, dis- is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal. Their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father immeasurable, the Son immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, there is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Christian religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anybody. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and is sent by the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in the Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal, co-equal with each other. It's deep stuff, isn't it? So in everything, as we said earlier, we must worship their Trinity in unity and their unity in Trinity. You can even actually see the Trinity hinted at in Genesis 
chapter 1 there, where uh, it talks about uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the earth, and the nouns there for God are in plural, the verbs are in singular, and then he makes man in his image, and you expect us to see a man, but no, there's male and female female there, so there's something more to God than we fully understand. But the easy way to remember it, rather than all that um, uh, uh, creed, which is beautiful, but uh, is just, if you remember that triangle, one God, three persons, all of them equal. And that will help you have a correct understanding of what the Bible teaches us about God. It's, you can't fully understand it, how it works out. We don't fully understand, but then if you could understand God, he wouldn't be a very big God, would he? He'd be a God of our own understanding rather than the one who made us. But the Holy Spirit is also a person. He's not just a force. He's not just you know, the energy of God. He is a person. He comforts his people. It's one of the main names for him in the New Testament, the comforter, the helper, the one who comes alongside you. He teaches his people. Jesus tells us that. He will teach us. He will point us back to Jesus. He will remind us of Jesus' teachings. He speaks to his people. Only a person can speak. He speaks to you. He spoke to uh, Philip and uh, told him to go and speak uh, go, go and speak to the person in the chariot. He spoke to uh, the church in Antioch to say, set apart for us Barnabas and Saul for the works that I have for them. He makes decisions. The Holy Spirit makes decisions. Acts 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to agree what they agreed in that uh, chapter there. In Acts 16, he makes the decision of, no, Paul, you can't go here. No, you're not allowed to go here either. The Bible makes it clear. He was the one who did it. He grieves over people's sin. So the Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force. He is a person who comes alongside you. His job, if you like, in his job description is to convict the world. Jesus says, he says this in John 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. The comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit is called to do. He convicts the world. But he not only convicts the world, he points people to Jesus. He, he convicts them of their sin and convicts us of our sin. And then he points us to the solution to that, which is Jesus. The Bible says no one can, can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So if you re- have recognized Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's because the Holy Spirit not only convicted you, but he pointed you to the solution of your problem of sin and my problem of sin. He makes you aware of your need for Jesus. He makes you aware that you need to surrender to him. And when you surrender to him, it's the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, who comes and makes his home 
in you. He makes you born again into the kingdom of God. And that is when the Spirit of God comes in you. John 14, verse 17, makes that that clear, that he will come and live in us and make his home in us. You're sealed with him as a guarantee of your future inheritance. Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. When you surrender to Jesus, you make him your Lord, the Spirit comes and lives in you. And the fact that the Spirit is in you is that guarantee of your place in heaven. It's the the deposit of your future inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit, my friends, that is the distinctive mark of the people of God. It's not the clothes that we wear. That's why, as Christians, we're not so worried about what clothes that people wear. It's not that we wear crosses round our necks or something like that, or or beads or anything like that, as uh, many other religions put importance on the things that you wear. It's the Holy Spirit that has been and will always be the distinctive mark of the people of God. Moses, we'll look at this in a few weeks' time in our series on Exodus. Moses, in Exodus 33, says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us on from this mountain, because what else makes your people distinct from every other nation on earth? The Apostle Paul, when he's going and uh, preaching the gospel in different places, he comes to a place where the gospel's already been preached and people are there and uh, he finds some disciples there and he speaks to them. But he realizes straight away, something's not right here. So he says to them, did did you receive the Spirit when you you believed? They said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. He realizes that that distinctive feature of the Holy Spirit was missing from those disciples in Acts chapter 19. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved on people, on special people, for special tasks. Although the desire of uh, Moses in uh, Numbers 11 is that all God's people would be filled uh, with the Spirit, it wasn't so in the Old Testament. He anointed leaders to, to lead. You see uh, in Numbers 11, he gave people supernatural strength. You see that with the story of Samson. He gave people the ability to build beautiful things and have creative uh, skill. You see that with uh, Bezalel, with the building of the temple in Exodus 31. He, um, He also enabled the prophets to prophesy, to be able to speak the word of God into a situation and say what God is saying on this situation, which often had some future uh, application to it as well. You see that with Elijah and Elisha. You even see that with King Saul. Samuel says, you're going to go, when you, when you turn away from me here and you go off, go back, this is before he's anointed, you know, the, you'll bump into these people and the Spirit of God will fall on you and you'll prophesy, and that happens. And then even when King Saul later in life is rebellious, against a god. He's trying to kill uh, King David. He's trying to kill David. He's not quite king yet, but he knows he's going to be uh, king. And he comes out after David, and uh, it says, well, David's there with uh, with Samuel, and uh, as Saul gets nearer Samuel, the Spirit of God falls on him, even though he's rebellious, even though he's, you know, out to murder God's anointed. The Spirit of God falls on him, and he prophesies, lying on his back, until 
the evening. So the Spirit of God enables people to prophesy in, in the Old Testament. But through the prophets, we hear of this day coming, this future date when God would change the hearts of all his people. You see that in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. You see that he would take out our heart of stone and he would give us a heart of flesh, a heart that is responsive to God. You see that in Ezekiel 36. And then you get that wonderful prophecy from Joel where he says, actually, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see dream or dream dreams. And uh, there's that sense of God, this day when God's going to pour out his spirit on all of his people. And that's, that was a day that they were looking forward to. And of course, then there's this 400-year period of silence from the closing of the Old Testament before you get into the New Testament of um, when Jesus is arriving, the Spirit, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but the Spirit's activity absolutely surrounds the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've already seen. When Mary is pregnant with uh, Jesus, uh, her, her uncle, Zachariah, prophesies in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, no one's prophesied for 400 years before, uh, before the, the, this time. Then Mary uh, sings a prophetic song uh, in that period. Then they bring Jesus to the temple when he's born at eight days old, and Simeon and Anna there prophesy over them. Me and Anna used to get teased over that. Oh, Simeon and Anna, oh, Simon and Anna. Never mind. But... Uh, um, uh, he was prophesied, they prophesied over Jesus. The Spirit anoints Jesus at his baptism. We read that, uh, or mentioned that, that passage earlier. And then you find that Jesus is led by the Spirit. Luke makes that very key. He's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. He just doesn't go of his own choice. It's the Holy Spirit that is leading him out there. And then it says he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' first message that he ever preached that's recorded in Scripture is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. His ministry, no wonder, was characterized by the Holy Spirit. And actually, if you read the Gospels carefully, you often see this as the Spirit did this, and he felt in his spirit, or the Spirit moved him to, 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 to do that. His ministry was characterized by signs and wonders because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So no wonder all four Gospels make it clear that Jesus is the one who will baptize his disciples with the Holy Spirit. Baptize just means it could be completely submerged, be completely drenched with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who gives you the mind of Christ. Yes, we're called to study the Word of God. We need the Word of God. But you get people who study this and they don't even believe in Jesus. You need the Spirit to help you to understand the mind of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. As you keep in step with him in your walk with God, he's the one who produces the fruits 
of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the Spirit who gives you the gifts of the Spirit. The clues in the name, isn't it? Gifts of the Spirit. And he empowers us. He gives them to whom he sees fit to give them to. And he empowers us to use the gifts that he has given us. 1 Corinthians 12 makes this clear. No wonder why the Apostle Paul tells us as the people of God in Ephesians 5 verse 18 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or as as the Greek there for be is in the present continuous, it's, you could translate it as go on being filled. It's not just a one-off thing. It's something that you continually need, daily need. I would uh, encourage you to seek the Spirit's filling daily. He is the one that strengthens you with power in your inner being, Ephesians 3 tells us, so that you may know the love of God in your heart. And the word there for know isn't just a a head knowledge. Oh yes, I know that God loves me. It's a a knowledge through experience. It's something that you know because you've experienced it. He's the one who helps you to experience the love of God in your own heart. So Paul goes on to write, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God himself. Do you want that this morning, my friends? Sort of a half-hearted, do you want it? But uh, that's because you're British. I'll take that as you're British, but you know, uh, or, or, or most of you are British, yeah. But uh, um, yeah, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. He said as I, in that passage that I read from John 16, it is to your advantage that I go. I mean, imagine having Jesus with you. I mean, that's, what a statement is that? It's to your advantage that I go. But I mean, imagine having Jesus uh, with you. When Jesus walked into a place, everything would change. He could raise the dead. He could heal the sick. And yet Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go because you will have the Holy Spirit. And actually, through you, I can do these things. And then because Jesus you know, limited himself deliberately into that one body, actually through us, he can be in many places, in many, uh, all the time. So he, it is to our advantage that he went. God wants you this morning to know and experience this Father's love for you. He wants you to know and experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life this morning. He wants to meet with you. He wants, you know, the Bible says that uh, when we've got the Spirit of God in us, He's the one that causes us to cry, Abba, Father, Abba being that affectionate term for Daddy, my Daddy. Well, you don't call anybody. Daddy, you only call someone, you know, you can often sometimes tell when uh, people don't have a close relationship with their dad because they'll say, oh yes, my, my father, father, you know, it's sort of always a bit more formal. But, uh, you know, my dad, Abba, father, it's the spirit who helps you to enable that. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to be thinking now, what do I need to do then? What special thing? You receive it by grace through 
Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who earned it for you. He wants you to be filled with this spirit. That's why he went, so that he could send the spirit so that you could have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, helping you, equipping you, strengthening you, giving you grace, giving you fresh energy each day. Jesus says to people, come to me, all who are thirsty and weary, and I will give you rest. I will cause cause rivers of living water to run up in you. And the Bible goes on to explain, by this he meant the Holy Spirit, who he was later to pour out. Oswald Sanders says in his book, the Holy Spirit is not to be regarded as a special luxury for the spiritual elite, but like bread, fish, and eggs, because that's the analogy that Jesus uses. His ministry is indispensable for normal Christian living. Being filled with the Spirit is the indispensable minimum for a full Christian life. Do you want a full Christian life this morning? Amen. I do. I do. Well, can I invite you to stand?